What will you leave in order to follow? I don't want to leave anything, quite honestly. Uh, but seriously, think about that for a moment. What, what would be the hardest thing for you to leave? I can tell you what it would be for me. Um, I mean, even just some, some context here. I, I uh, just spent the last uh, bit of time with my family. Uh, we went to, to visit Kelly's family, my wife. Uh, she grew up in Florida. All of them are there. And so, uh, you know, we had a few days, just, just us, a few days uh, with, with her family. I mean, it, was, it was like 75 degrees warmer uh, on Friday in my life uh, than it was uh, this morning. We, we drove back yesterday. Um, and it, it was, honestly, it was just about, just about perfect. And, and so let me, let me tell you, when I think about what would be the hardest things for me to give up control of, to hand over in my life, I, I, I mean, I, I can tell you after about like a half a second of introspection, it doesn't take all that long for me. Uh, the, the biggest one, I think, is my, my hopes for my family. And then the second, my love of comfort. Runners up, and, I mean, in case you're curious, I guess, uh, would be success uh, and control. None of, none of which are, are, are bad things, necessarily. But, but I know myself well enough to know that I, I regularly say to Jesus, um, you know, maybe not actually say it, but, you know, like inside, uh, Jesus, I'll, I'll follow you uh, just as long as you keep your hands off my family and your nose out of my comfort. I'll, I'll follow you as long as I can take, take those things with me. You know what I'm saying, right? What, what would it be for you? What, what would be some of the hardest things uh, for you to leave? And I don't, I don't mean like, you know, sell all your possessions and, and move to Africa, right? Or abandon your family. Uh, some of you are getting your hopes up just a little bit. That's not where we're going. Um, I don't even necessarily mean like getting rid of anything in particular. More, more like... Giving up control, right? Giving, giving up your, your right to be in charge of what would be the hardest thing for you to leave? I've got a marker here, so this is a real question. I don't want to feel like the only loser in the room, so come on. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. That's great. What else? Yes. Health, definitely. What else? Community, Community. yeah. I'll even put friends there too. It's part of that, right? Other thoughts? Reputation. Reputation, yes. freedom. Yeah, I'm guessing we could probably make this list uh, as long as we wanted to. There, there are lots of things in my life and your life, I'm sure, right, that we just, we hold on to. They have, they have a, a grip on us. And here's what's so interesting, right? You, you, we heard the, the text read for us this morning. We're in, in the Gospel of Matthew together. Uh, we've been in there since, uh, I don't know, December, I guess, and, and we'll be in there for quite some time. And what Matthew is so clearly showing us this morning, if you want to follow Jesus, right, if you want to understand what the Christian life is supposed to look like, Matthew shows us that following means leaving. 
that you, ha- you have to leave in order to, to follow. And whatever, whatever is hardest, like whatever you'd put at like the top of the list there for you, the hardest thing for you to leave is exactly the thing that he wants the most. And we're not, we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about earning our own salvation. None of us could possibly achieve, achieve that. And yet the definition of the Christian life we see over and over in Scripture, it's not merely you know, believing that God exists or going to church or being a really nice person, right, or, or checking off a whole list of doctrines to, to believe. The metaphor that we see over and over, what Jesus is calling us to, is to follow him. And following means leaving your old identity, your values, cultural expectations, uh, the things that, that are just habits or, or the things that, that, we, that we hold dear, you have to leave in order to follow. That's why we're, we're calling this section of Matthew the upside-down kingdom. Because this is what Jesus does. Over and over again, we'll see it especially in this section, we'll, we're kind of calling this right here through, through chapter 7 of Matthew, this upside-down kingdom. In fact, next week we're going to start into Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, where every, everything he says is upside-down. But when we see it even, even here as he calls his first followers. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 4 as we tell this story. Um, you can follow along there or on your phone. You can pull it up however, however is easiest uh, for you. But you, you can't miss what Matthew is doing here. It's a story for many of us uh, that are probably very familiar. Some of you might be brand new. Uh, but we, we often know it, some of us. And um, what Matthew is trying to do, what he's trying to draw out, is this paradigm of what it means to be a, a Christ follower, a Jesus person, a Christian. That following means leaving Okay, so over the last, I guess, uh, a little over a month now, uh, in Matthew, we've done the, the, the Christmas stories, right? Uh, we've kind of got, gotten through those. We, we looked a couple weeks ago at his, at his baptism. Stephen uh, helped us through that. We talked uh, last week about his temptation. Um, and so now Jesus is, is really at the beginning of his sort of more formal ministry, life as an itinerant preacher, going around preaching the good news that, that, that he's there, that he's bringing a new, a new kind of kingdom. And so today, as we look at this story, Jesus is he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. Uh, that's, that's what he's doing. You kind of have to, to picture him uh, essentially with a help-wanted sign strapped to his chest as, as he goes around uh, looking for these followers. Here, here's a, a picture. So right there is the, the Sea of Galilee. Pretty, pretty big lake, 64 square miles of, of surface area uh, of water. It's, it's sort of like, you know, Clinton Lake in Lawrence, uh, it's like six of those sort of, you know, pushed together, right? Uh, so it's a, big, it's a big body of, of water. It's also about 700 feet uh, below sea level, which means it was subject to all kinds of, of storms. Uh, we'll get to some of those storms in Matthew. Matthew tells us about some of those. Uh, but also it would have been a, a, a heavily fish lake, providing food throughout the, the region in that, that ancient world. And as Jesus is walking along, he sees two brothers, They happen to be from a town just to the north of the Sea of Galilee called Bethsaida, uh, which literally means fish town. Anybody want to guess what people from fish town did to make a living? Right? It's it's pretty obvious. Their names were Simon, uh, later called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. Now, according to, to John, the Gospel of John, 
Um, they'd already had some interaction with Jesus. He's not a complete stranger to them, right? They've, they've heard his stump speech. They've, they've seen a few of his miracles. They knew that Jesus was somebody important, somebody special, but they'd gone back to their, their old lives, to their old way of living. They, they hadn't yet left in order to follow. And Jesus sees them there doing the same thing they'd always done, same thing probably that their father had done and their grandfather had done and all their classmates and everybody they knew. They were from Fishtown, the thing that the people from there did did best. And don't, don't picture them, you know, with a, a pole and a hook, right? This is uh, commercial fishing, not recreational. Imagine them with a large net, probably about 25 uh, feet across, uh, weighted around the edges. They'd cast it in, let it sink, and then they'd scoop up uh, whatever fish happened to be there for them. When Jesus, this is what they're doing, when Jesus comes over and says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Which is a weird enough thing to say, right? But weirder still, I think, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Now, one little thing to keep in mind here is this is not the way uh, ancient rabbis worked back then. Uh, in fact, if you wanted to follow a rabbi, you, you had to humble yourself and go and seek out that rabbi and say, hey, you mind if I, I learn from you? Can I follow you around for a while? No self-respecting rabbi in the first century would go out looking for an entourage. But that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's looking for these key followers. Again, Jesus he just kind of does everything backwards, right? He throws it all on his head. And now they're, they're walking together, the three of them, and Jesus sees another set of brothers, almost like he had it planned, right? James and John are their names. And they're in a boat, mending their nets uh, with their father, Zebedee. About 30 years ago, uh, archaeologists found the remains of an old fishing boat from the Sea of Galilee is buried deep in the mud. It dates actually back to the first century, which is pretty amazing. Um, and so experts would say it was probably, you know, that was kind of the, the layout. Here's another, like a replica, smaller replica of it. This probably looks something like this. Um, they were roughly, I mean, that one they found was about 27 feet long, probably had room for about 15 workers in it to go out and, and fish on the, on the Sea of Galilee. Um, and Mark, the gospel writer, actually tells us that for James and John, they're in there with their hired workers. It's not, just, it's not just James and John and their dad. It's this small business that they have. Which I think is interesting because sometimes we think of these, these disciples, especially the fishermen, as these kind of like, you know, poor rednecks, right? With, they're just doing their thing. And of course they're going to follow Jesus because what else do they have to live for? They're just doing that, right? I mean, we kind of imagine that. But they, for James and John, at least, they're part owners in a thriving fishing business with overhead and, and revenues and, and employees that are, that are counting on them. And yet, even to them, Jesus goes and he says to them, follow me. And the exact same thing happens. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, we have to remember the reason why Matthew is telling us these things. It's important. Anytime we go to the Gospels, to remember, yes, we, we believe that these things are are true, that they actually happened in, in real life, real history. And so he's writing history down for us. And yet, like any historian, he's writing with a purpose. There, there are things that he is drawing out of these stories to show us, uh, to teach us, to help us know what it means to follow Jesus. And Matthew tells this story to show us 
This is what it looks like to follow him. You have to leave in order to follow. Matthew's writing about maybe three decades after the resurrection, and people are still intrigued by Jesus and still are, are being called to, to follow him. And he's saying, this, this is what it looks like. Which leads to our first observation. I'll have three of these along the way. Um, but the first thing that just grabs me from this text is, I mean, what exactly, what exactly are we supposed to leave? It's everything. Jesus wants all of it. It's, it's easy for us, as, as I said, it's easy for us to sort of gloss over the enormity of what's just happened in these brothers' lives, right? I mean, if you're familiar with the story, it's like, well, of course, this is just what they do. The disciples, they go, and they, that's, that's who they are, right? And they're just fishermen, so who really cares? What are they actually leaving behind? Can it really be that big of a deal? And yet, for them, this is everything. I mean, for, for Simon and Andrew, for example, I mean, they're residents of Fishtown, right? This is all they know. This, this, was, this was life for them. It was safety. It was, it was comfortable, may not be the most glamorous job being a fisherman, but at least they had some sense of control. They knew what to expect. And for, for James and John, right, this is, their, this is their chance at affluence, at respect, as these part business owners trying to, to, to make their way. For them, this is, this is all of it. And so when Matthew tells us, right, look, look again the way he phrases it. Immediately, they left their notes and, nets and followed him. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is everything for them. I mean, it's kind of like quitting your job and having no prospects. It's like moving to another state and not knowing what's going to happen next. It's like saying to God, hey, God, I trust you with my kids no matter what. I trust you with my reputation no matter what others say about me. I trust you with my money and my marriage, right? With all of it, it's saying, it's just, it's, it's just yours, my health. And eventually, Simon Peter even says to Jesus later on in the story, in Matthew chapter 19, uh, closer to the end, Matthew said, or um, Peter says to Jesus, see, we have left everything to follow you. They may seem like silly nets to us, but for them, this, this is their whole world. Now, Jesus isn't saying here that we all have to leave our jobs, right, and start over in that way. There were 12 disciples who did just that, right? Who, who left their, their careers or whatever it was that they were, they were involved in to go and make this kind of a full-time gig. But there are thousands that followed him, right? Who kept on fishing or farming or, or whatevering, right? And who just did so now with a new master. Normal lives, but under kind of a, a new normal, right? With a new hope, a new identity, all, all of that. Work isn't the point. The point is this. Following means Leaving. And for most of us, most of us, there are things way harder to leave than our jobs. Much more difficult to, to relinquish control of. To entrust to him. And my guess is, for, for many of us, right, we're already thinking about it. Um, I've been wrestling with it. And maybe, maybe even just looking at this, this list here behind us. Um, what are the things you're holding back? I mean, because maybe, maybe you're a Christian, but maybe you're just, you know, Jesus, you can have this, but this, this one still belongs to me, and you can have this one, and I'm going to take this. And what, are those, what are those things in your life? I mean, if, if you're taking notes, maybe jot a few things down, or even just a mental list. What are those things that you're holding on to that you're saying, no, this, this is still mine? Because whatever it is, that's exactly what Jesus wants the most. And frankly, 
at least, at least in my opinion, this is what makes it so hard to follow Jesus. I mean, it's not just that these stories are, are really hard to believe. And I, I get that, right? They're, they're hard to get our minds around that these things actually happen. But I don't, I don't think that's what's hardest. I think at least for me, it's that I just, I don't want to give up control. I don't, I don't want anybody else calling the shots in my life. I, I, don't, I don't know always, can I really trust him with my kids? Can I really trust him for my, my comfort and my happiness? Or do I have to, to go out and, and grab it on my own? Or whatever it is for you. What, are you. what are you holding back? But what are those things promising you? Like, what, what are they offering you? Why do they have that, that grip on you? What is it about them? And, and how might Jesus be promising, offering you something even more? It's time to leave those things to him. You have to leave in order to follow. But it's not just all that Jesus wants. It's also now, right? It gets even, even more, more complicated as Matthew tells us exactly what's, what's happening here. It's not, it's not later on. It's not when things get a little easier, right? You get a better handle on life, when you've got a little more free time or, you know, you, after you've had your fun or, or whatever, right? Matthew shows us when do, they, when do they leave to follow? Immediately. You see, I often... I often fool myself into believing that I'm actually okay with the giving Jesus everything bit, you know, as long as I can do it on my own time. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, Jesus, you can have, you can have all of it. Fine, wh- whatever. Um, wait, you meant now, right? I mean, my, my kids do that to me all the time. Um, I just don't realize how often I do the exact same thing to him. In fact, that was one of my, one of my biggest hindrances uh, at 18, um, 18 years old, but whether or not I was really going to take Jesus seriously um, and, and follow him. I grew up in church and had always, always been a part of that. It was always my, my lifestyle. But I always kept saying uh, to, to Jesus, I mean, literally, I kind of have this conversation, like, just later, right? When I, when I grow up, when, when, after I have my fun or, or whatever, then, then I'll, I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll, I'll take you seriously. I'll, I'll, I'll whatever, right? And eventually what switched for me is I, I had to ask myself and Honestly, I really wish I could say I've graduated from asking myself the same question. I don't think it happens as often now, but it still does. I had to ask myself, Nathan, what are you waiting for? I mean, really, like, what exactly am I waiting for? And, and what is it for you? I mean, if you've got those things that you're holding on to that you just can't quite say, yes, this, this belongs to you, what, what are you waiting for? I mean, the reality is nobody, nobody knows the lies you tell yourself better than you do, right? And I know I've got mine. What is it? Hey, for some, maybe, maybe it's I'll, I'll spend more time at home just after the next promotion. Or maybe I'll, I'll pray and I'll, I'll read my Bible more once the kids are just a little bit easier, right? Or once they, they're in school or something. Or, or, or we'll, we'll find a place to, to serve or a community group once life calms down. Maybe, maybe for some, Maybe the lie is, you know, I'll stop looking at porn once I get married. Or, or once my marriage just gets just a little bit better. Or we can, be, we can be generous after the next raise. I'll believe in Jesus once I get just a little bit more proof. And on and on and on we keep saying, just a little bit later, Jesus. Not now, just in a little bit. Will you follow him later? Are you sure? And is it possible that you're missing out on 
what he has for you even now. I was struck recently uh, by a, a story through one of our ministry partners. Um, it, it's uh, a group called Elam. We've talked about them before. Um, they uh, train pastors and plant churches in, in Iran. Um, where it's illegal, right? Uh, where you can actually be imprisoned and, and even killed for, for following Jesus and telling others about Jesus. Uh, they, they celebrated more than 450 baptisms this past fall. Former Muslims, right? Uh, all at tremendous personal risk. I mean, they, they really do leave everything in order to follow. Here, here's a story of one individual. Let's watch. مخصوصا اگر مسلمون باشه و کتاب مقدس داشته باشه کتاب مقدس به کس دیگه ای بده در مورد ایمانش با کسی صحبت بکنه این یه جرم به حساب میاد که به کلیسا رفتم و دیدم که چطور خدا رو با شادی پرستش میکنن برام خیلی عجیب بود به خاطر اینکه تو اسلام ما معمولا تو مراسمی که خیلی مراسم عزاداری هست و با گریه مسلمونا خدا رو میپرستن و دعا میکنن زمانی که خانواده من و دوستان متوجه شدن که من به مسیح ایمان آوردم اصلا خوشحال نبودن مخصوصا خانواده میدیدن که زندگی من داره تغییر میکنه توی ایران شروع کردم به بشارت دادن هر جایی که میرفتم با خودم انجیل کتاب مقدس میبردم اونجا هر کسی رو که میدیدم توی پارک توی مرکزهای خرید با در مورد مسیح صحبت میکردم انجیل رو بهشون میدادم میدیدم که چقدر مردم با اشتیاق این کتاب رو میگیرن و شروع میکنن به خوندن هر روز بیشتر میدیدم که مردم به مسیح ایمان میارن 26 دسامبر بود که من رو دستگیر کردن و من به زندان رفتم نمیدونستم که چه مدتی من قراره که اونجا باشم فکر میکردم که برای خیلی مدت طولانی اونجا خواهم بود میدونم که الان خیلی شاید توی نگرانی و ناامیدی هستیم ولی میخوام بگم که برای تو امید هست در عیسی مسیح Yet why, why is it that I somehow think Jesus expects so much less from me when others throughout the entire world experience these kinds of, of difficulties, these hazards? For me, I'm talking about like giving up a little bit of control over some preferences oftentimes. So what does Jesus want? Everything. Now. 
There's one more observation here. It's not just for ourselves that Jesus wants us. It's that Jesus wants us for, for others. I mean, so often we, we think, or I think of, of salvation in purely individualistic terms. Like, it's just, it's me and Jesus, and we'll live happily ever after once we get all this, you know, sin stuff worked out. Um, and it's all, it's all just going to be fine. But, but Layden knows better, right? D- doesn't she? I mean, even when she's thrown in, in prison, and so, do, so do these disciples, most of whom would be murdered for following Jesus. When we follow him, there's only one place he's taking us. Fishers of men, he calls it. It's kind of a strange metaphor, isn't it? Right? He's, he's talking to these, these fishermen there on the, on the lake as he's calling them to himself. A community of, of people who serve one another, love each other, and calls one another to leave in, in order to, to follow. And what I, what I think is so interesting about this, because I'm not, I mean, evangelism or sharing your faith, witnessing, however you want to call it, right? This, it's hard for me. It's awkward and just, I mean, probably many of you feel that, that same thing. Um, and, and yet, what puzzles me is like Jesus presents it as a get-to, not a have-to, right? Do you notice that? It's like, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? And I'm like, really? That's a, I mean, it feels, it feels like a stick, not a carrot, right? Uh, but for Jesus, it's like, this, this is a good thing. This is a, a this is what we get to be a part of. And, and here's, I think, why it can be Jesus can say it with such, with such joy, right? With such delight that this is for your best, for our, for our good. It's that if you've already left behind everything else, right, your, rep, your reputation, what people think of you, your sense of safety or security, yeah, your own sort of building of, of your own uh, image or comfort, if you've really left everything else behind, then what do you have to lose in the, f- in the first place, right? And helping others follow to experience this same joy can actually become a delight. You see, the kingdom of God is a community project. And, and you see it immediately uh, in the next, the next story. We're not going to spend a lot of time there, but uh, as Jesus calls these disciples, they go all throughout the regions of Galilee, and Jesus, I mean, he is on his A game, right? And his fame is growing. Everybody loves Jesus at this point uh, because he is, he is preaching the good news of, the, of his kingdom breaking in, and he's healing anybody and everybody. And essentially, Jesus is showing us, this is what it looks like to be fishers of men. It always includes both. It's not enough to just tell people that Jesus loves them. You also have to show them. And it's not enough to just show them. We also have to tell them. And I know it it probably sounds a little bit cheesy or churchy or or whatever, right? Um, I don't mean anything demeaning by picking up on this metaphor. It's just what Jesus says. But if you are his follower... If, that, if that's your identity now, one of his, who are you fishing for? I mean, don't, don't scheme or manipulate, right? Don't force it or, or get, get all weird. Um, but who do, you, who do you love enough to show who Jesus is? Who are you praying for? Kids, who are, who are those kids on the playground that just seem lonely, that need a friend? Or what, what neighbor needs help or, or a family member or coworker needs en- encouragement? Do those things because they're good things. Jesus would have done those things. And proclaim the good news. It might be as simple as, as telling your story of how you came to leave in order to follow, why you, why you did. I mean, if you're a Christian, that's, that's part of your story. That's what you've done, and presumably you've done so for good reason that you think there's something compelling about Jesus, something worth 
giving up everything else to follow him. Share that with others. Maybe it's just, it could be just praying with somebody who's hurting, inviting them to church. And I know, I know all of this, right? It seems, it seems risky to give up everything now and to do so on, uh, for others. I mean, it feels like just kind of laying it all out there. And who wants to do that? It sounds crazy, especially 2,000 years later. But where else, where else is there such hope? And besides, this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. This is one of the things I love about Jesus. He doesn't just stand off at like some safe distance and tell his followers, hey, would you guys go that way, right? Um, but he keeps himself, you know, sort of safe. No, he's always come with. He's the one leading the way, sometimes into very difficult, ugly places. And for these early disciples, exactly where it's going to be painful for them. But this is what he's done. He, he left everything, the very glories of, of heaven, to follow his Father's will, and he came for us. To die, and then come back to life, forgiveness uh, for our many failures, wholeness that begins even now, that enables us to actually begin to leave behind those things that grab onto us. I mean, that's the amazing thing about this life. I mean, for some of you... I, Maybe you would call yourself a Christian, but you know there are these, this list of things that there's no way you want Jesus to touch. But as you begin more fully to follow him, those things, they lose some of their interests. They're still hard because they're good things, many of them. But you begin to see that actually, no, he, he really is better. And if, if this is the kind of God he is, this is the kind of God I want to follow. You know, I don't, I don't want this just to be a, a familiar story, right, from our Bibles, or just a, a good theory, or, you know, something that we all talk about that nobody actually does, right? Because sometimes we think that, like, we're going to talk about these things, and, you know, then we're just going to do whatever we want. Um, people are actually doing this all around us. Jesus, even 2,000 years later, Jesus continues to call people to himself to follow him, and people respond. In fact, let me, let me tell you a story of a guy I met here at the Olathe campus just a couple of months ago. It was earlier this, this fall. Um, he said I could share this. In fact, he kind of wrote up some of his, his story for me. I'll be, I'll be able to read some of his words to you. Um, he's mid-50s, hugely successful, but by his own uh, description of himself, deeply, deeply broken. Uh, he hadn't really been to church in, in decades, um, but he sort of felt, heard, whatever, Jesus calling him. Um, and, he, and he ended up here. And let, me, let me read some of his story for us. Uh, he grew up in a Christian home, um, but that, that home fell apart. And as he grew older, he writes, I drifted, avoiding church, the Bible, and any situation where I felt conviction. I was not following Jesus. My energy and time was consumed with getting ahead, making as much money as I could. My consumption with worldly things led to my own divorce and another broken family. Professionally, on paper, I was a success. Early retirement, financial security, and things, lots of things were my world. I helped others, donated money to worthy causes, thinking these deeds made me a good Christian, despite not following God. On the outside looking in, my life was grand. Inside, it was a very shallow existence. He goes on, he says, in 2014, an indescribable tragedy occurred. My youngest son took his own life. He was 24. My personal guilt was overwhelming. The sadness and debilitating agony has been intolerable at times. I should have been closer to him, 
taking more time to be with him, if I spent more time with him instead of chasing worldly idols, would this have happened? For several months following his death, I stayed busy, my, my coping mechanism. The sadness and guilt persisted to the point I was not functional at times. I began to pray but felt God was not listening to me, a selfish, self-centered sinner. I repeatedly asked God to forgive me. I was in a desperate, self-condemning state of mind. At rock bottom, he writes, I bought a new Bible and a daily devotional book and began reading them. As time went on, church became a craving. We decided to change our weekend routine uh, and find a church. Actually, they they live about a quarter mile from here. Um, And my second encounter with him, so I met him his first Sunday here with us, and then I saw him the the next week um, and went over just to say hi. And he kind of paused and looked at me. He was over out here in the lobby. And he said, you know, Nathan, um, we always spend the weekend at the lake, but I'm here now. Um, I couldn't tell if he was thanking me or blaming me. Um, that, was, that was my second, second encounter uh, with him. Uh, after this, though, he says, I began to accept the forgiveness Jesus died for all of us to have, even me. Each day, each passage, each devotional, each church service is reinforcing that I follow Jesus. Spent decades running from him. But now he's leaving that behind to, in order to, to follow. And sure, just like all of us, right? He's got a long ways to go. And for him, he has grief that he will carry with him for his entire life. And yet he, he concludes with this. He says, thanks to the creator of this world for his love and sending Jesus. And that he never gave up on me. Friends, following means leaving. And my guess is most of us here know Know what it is that Jesus is calling us to leave behind. Know know the area, the issue of control, or you know what it is, right? Most of us probably do in our our lives. The things that we need to begin to push aside so that we can follow follow him. And in just just a moment, we're going to sing, we're going to celebrate, we're going to reaffirm that. For those of us who are are Christians, we're going to reaffirm that commitment um, together to leave behind who we thought we were, the things that we've been building our lives upon or scheming to achieve, even good things. We leave it to follow him. But before we do that, before we kind of rush into that moment of response, why don't we just quiet ourselves? Um, We'll put those reflection questions back on the screen here. Let's take just a couple of minutes. Whether you're you're a Christian or not, ask, ask yourself, as I've been asking myself, these questions and see what God would have for us. Let's pray quietly together.